with an after. I feel like it's been so long since we've recorded one of these. Is I, that just me? Yes. No, that's not just you. <laughs> that's it's just been a weird year. <laughs> oh I mean, God. understatement of the century. Mm-hmm. How is everybody doing out there? We're just sending you all of our love. Oh, it's just a weird time and all of time. Remember, so I saw Nicole, so our guest from episode 16, and and she's our one of our admissions counselors at Lion Rock. She posts some fabulous things on social media, and she posted, I think it was this Nicole, she posted something, and it was like, remember back in March when we thought that Tiger King mm-hmm, was the, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Was the was craziest the- thing ever? Mm-hmm. And then I think it said, like, we were so young then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is yeah, about right. It's- Oh, Drew. I, I remember being so, like, my mind was so blown by Tiger King. And now I feel like I'm, not that I don't care, but, it, but it's like it's like a desensitization is what it feels like. A slow, yeah, good. Which concerns me. What What's what's coming next that we're being desensitized, we're continuously being desensitized to each one of these? I don't know. I'm, I'm definitely sticking with the one day at a time thing. I'm adopting that, that, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. philosophy. From AA, I'm like, oh, I get it now. <laughs> well, I saw, I saw <laughs> there was a uh, squirrel that tested positive that for bubonic plague in Colorado and gave it to a human. Who? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Hold on, wait. What? Um, yeah. <laughs> so a squirrel had bubonic plague and gave it to a human, and in Colorado, and tested positive for bubonic plague. And I saw this, I saw this article and I turned to Dak, my husband in bed. And I was like, oh, bubonic plague is coming back. Like, and it was funny because I remember when I was reading about murder hornets and I was like, I'm sorry, murder horn. Like, what is this? And just super, like, I had to talk to everybody I talked to, like, hey, have you heard this? Blah, blah, blah. And I saw the bubonic plague thing and I was like, yeah, it's on brand for 2020. Let's get this uh Party started. What are we six months in? We're six months in. We got another six to go. Bubonic plague seems on brand. Let's do this. What was it a few weeks ago? Or or I can't even keep track of time anymore. But uh, the Saharan dust coming across the Atlantic. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's like what in like this is like the kind of stuff that you read about in like Arctic on fire. The Arctic on fire. Did you see that one? The Arctic. Oh, You're making yeah. this up. Oh, I wish I was. Hold on. Arctic the, on fire no. 2020. Yeah. No. Let's see. 2020's Arctic fires. Yep. What? Yeah. <laughs> swear to God. <laughs> I I swear if like No, it's real. <laughs> it is real. Intense Arctic wildfires set a pollution record. High temperatures and dry soil mean ideal, con- ideal conditions for fires. Intense wildfires in the Arctic in June released more polluting gases into the atmosphere than in any other month in 18 years of data collected, European scientists said. <laughs> and then earlier this year, wasn't that the fires in the Amazon? Oh, wait. Zombie fires in Arctic pump out carbon at record paces. Zombie fires? Yeah. I Is there something that we don't know? I think... Uh, the cut.com the arctic is on fire and we should all be terrified <laughs> i was like yeah i think that's already happening oh my god yep well, i'm not gonna say what's next because i'm not looking for what's next goodness gracious 
it's just been a year. Hey, well, but we're well, here. Okay, so, so if, if like the equatorial countries have a freeze, that'll be, oh my God. Right, like that that'll be, that'd be like the closest thing to like hell freezing over. Like, right, yeah, but that's what I mean. Like, right. like, yeah, like equatorial, like right along the equator. If there's a massive freeze, that maybe that's coming. I'm seriously considering switching careers and going into comedy because I have a lot to say, and I think I just want to be laughing all the time. So, yeah, this might call. be my last podcast here. Yeah, I like I'm it. Gonna- yeah. Just bring your jokes. Bring your jokes here. Oh, yeah, that's true. I don't have to go away. I can just bring them here. Yeah, just bring your jokes here. I do. <laughs> I, bring, I, think I bring my jokes. I think you're a little funnier than I am, though. I don't know if I'd make it. I think I'd be a good um, sketch actor. Like, I, I do really well when I'm riffing off with other people. And I always yeah. did well whenever I, I did acting classes and was in musical theater and stuff. I always wanted to be on Saturday Night Live. But I don't think I have the chops to be like a stand-up comedian. I don't know. Being a stand-up comedian looks terrifying. It's very, very difficult. I mean, I wouldn't know from experience, but I've definitely sat with people as if, as they've written their sketches and ooh, man, it's an art. Oh, whenever I've, uh, uh, I've been at comedy clubs, when a joke doesn't land, it's very uncomfortable. Oh, uh, did you watch the marvelous Mrs. Maisel? No, everybody says that I need to watch it and that I would think You're, it's super funny. would love it. It's so fast paced and like you just, her character is so phenomenal. So that's kind of part of her shtick is she's, you know, comedian and she goes through these processes, you know, of coming up as a comedian. And there are these super awkward moments where her jokes don't, like don't land well, you know, and, and you just sit there and they, they, as you know, the writers let you feel that awkwardness with her. Ooh, I just remember sitting there just cringing. You know, I was just like, my fists were just clutched together. Like, Oh my gosh, this is awful. Can you imagine if this was real? You know, you're so invested in her character when you're watching it. I highly recommend it. I think you'll binge watch it for sure. It's, Oh, it's phenomenal. I was so sad whenever, like, I was like, I have to wait for the next season. Oh. So good. We, I have a, I have a month off of school coming, so I can plan to watch things then. But until then, it's uh, no rest for the weary. There's no rest for the weary. I was just mm-hmm. glad to say. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <sighs> well, okay, we are here doing an after the episode, and of course, we have to, you know, riff beforehand, but. Um, we are talking. About- yeah, I have a hold well, before we talk about that. I have a couple of announcements. First of all, if you're just joining the podcast, or if this is your first after the after the episode, or if it's your hundredth after the episode, welcome back and welcome, and thanks for listening and joining in. I hope 2020 is being kind to you. Also, we are going to be starting a podcast book club. Um, basically a podcast club that's modeled after a book club. Uh, It's going to be called the Courage to Change Podcast Club. And there are announcements coming on that. Um, So we will gather and the meeting will be based on a couple of episodes and we'll talk about them. I'm going to try to get some of the uh, the speakers to join us and answer questions. And we'll talk about uh, different topics from the episode, different, I'll bring resources and people can come and 
ask questions or share stories or, you know, all that jazz. And we're going to have prizes and giveaways and all sorts of fun stuff. So keep your ears open for that. Uh, We are really, really looking forward to launching that. So that is that. And I think that was my, (laughs) I think that that was my uh, only announcement. Okay. That's a perfect announcement. This is going to be really exciting, you guys. This will be a chance to interact. It's been a little strange of a year, right? So we want to really kind of go above and beyond in regards to connecting with our listeners and making sure that everybody has that sense of community. And what better way to do that by, you know, going over the podcast. And we've heard so many times how, you know, just how much this podcast has helped people in all different kinds of ways. So thank you guys so much for your emails and for your responses. We've heard how people are either early in sobriety and the podcast is helping them as a resource to help stay sober. We've had people stop drinking, listening to the pot from listening to the podcast stories. We've had people who've entered treatment because of it. People who have entered counseling, people who have said it's just been really encouraging from, you know, just the COVID hope cast, you know, that encouragement. And, you know, I guess there's people that listen to me and Ashley rant about things, and <laughs> laugh about things and lose our minds. So that, that I know, right. Um, so we just want to say, we appreciate you guys and we want to keep reaching out with those resources for you. So stay tuned because Ashley's right. Very exciting. We're working on that right now. And announcements to come soon. We'll send an email out about that too. So, and I know we want to give people an opportunity to join our email list. So stay tuned with that because we have, a, we have, we just have so many updates we're working on right now. We're trying to make it just a better podcast every day. So yeah. Yeah. Exciting stuff. Now I want to sing Cheryl Crow every day is a winding road. Go ahead. No. No. Maybe the end. At the end. So episode 58 is today's episode. What we're going over, we're reviewing two awesome episodes. Ah. Um, Michael G. Dash and Jody Sweeten. Oh my gosh. What do we say about these two? So much to say. Um, Where do we even start? Well, we can start with, we'll start with uh, Michael. So start with Michael. So I actually have his daily alignment assessment that he made. I have it pulled up on my screen. And, um, cause I was re-listening to the episode, but Michael was awesome. I mean, I, you know, it's fascinating to me to hear about gambling. Cause as I've said a bunch of times on this podcast that like, I guess I'm too cheap for gambling. I don't know. I, it just, it, it's like the risk of losing the money on, like, I, I guess I don't find it. I, you know what it is. It's not enough. The ratio of risk reward isn't high enough for me. It's not enough fun for the cost. So at least, it ha- you know, God, I don't even, I, I get scared to like say these things because, <laughs> you know, you never know. But um, yeah, the risk risk reward is just not there for me. And so it's really interesting hearing about it hearing And, and uh, when I was re-listening to it, listening to him talk, I asked him, you know, like, okay, so what were some of the unexpected difficulties with getting clean and we like, could you watch sports? Could you, you know, and he, and and he was talking about how the issue was that he couldn't know what the lines were. He couldn't know, you know, the injury reports, the things like that. Like that was, as long as he didn't know that stuff, then he could watch the sports. But it was once he knew that information that made it difficult. Cause I would have thought if you were betting 
if you, if that was, you know, you're betting on sports that just the game would be triggering for you, but it, but that wasn't the case for him. So that was interesting. There was a lot of like little things like that, like insights into how that works that I found useful um, or interesting. And then he talked about, so, I mean, his story, there were a couple, you know, real like themes to it. One was cross addiction was that he would, when I was re-listening, like he would give up the alcohol or he would give up the gambling or he would, you know, he would get, or rather, I think it was the gambling first. He would give up the gambling. He would go to Gamblers Anonymous. He would work a program like, but then he would get the DUI. He would lose the car. He would like all the other things continued to happen for him. And I think that is one thing that all of us, and I talk about this so much, which is you get sober, you put down your drug of choice, your DOC, as we call it. You put down your DOC and whatever that is, exercise, drinking, you know, your smartphone, whatever. And you just pick up something else. And the idea in recovery is to find peace and balance in a way where the things that you pick up in its place are intentional, that you're willing and able to give the time that you give to them, that it's your decision, that it's not running you. So, you know, if you put down gambling and you pick up meditation, exercise, and reading, right, the idea is you're, you are picking those up in, in, in to replace them. And then the idea is really about how much time you're giving to each of them and is it intentional and is it up to you? So if you're reading around the clock and you can't stop reading to shower or you're spending all your time and money reading and, you know, like that, that is a problem. You've taken something that was, that was a good thing and now you've made it into an obsessive thing, right? That's a, you're making, you've cross addicted. Whereas if you if you have this balance of reading exercise and meditation and you're choosing to put maybe you put more time into it than other people but you are intentional about how much time you put into it then i think that that is a you know it's a different that that changes the that makes it not the cross addiction that's the difference and and it's interesting because in michael's uh, alignment assessment which we'll get into in a little bit. He has on here percentage of time spent on a- and on activity in 24 hours and he has gambling, shopping, reading, watching TV, exercise, drinking, work, eating and something. Uh social media, eating and prep, social media and sleep, okay? And so he's showing the different ratios I'm sorry, the different percentages, yeah, ratios, the different percentages of time spent on each activity. If you're choosing what that time spent is and that's and it's in alignment with your goals, then that that's healthy. But if you find yourself out of control, maybe it's social media, you're on it too much, you know, and that's not in alignment with your goals, well then you can see that it's a maladaptive coping mechanism. It's a coping mechanism that's not working towards your goals. And I really liked how he talked about that. And his, you know, we live in California and not that everything in California is woo-woo, but it's much, you know, we're we're much like metaphysical and spiritual. And there's a lot of stuff that I think is more commonly talked about and kind of ease of conversation, you know, normal, normal terms, things like that when you live where we live, particularly where we live. 
you know, coastal California. And when I go back East or, you know, to my in-laws in, in Texas or whatever, like the conversations don't, that we're not all using the same terminology. So what Michael talked about was how his life's getting out of control. He's got this million dollar lawsuit. He's from New Jersey and he does this flow, you know, this flow alignment course and that he thinks it's total BS and it sounds ridiculous. And he even says like, I'm from New Jersey. This, I don't know what you're talking about. This this is woo woo nonsense. And, uh, you know, and so for me, like that, I think that stuff is so much easier for me to swallow because I, I grew up here. So it's not a big, you know, it's not a big deal. But I can totally, like the fact that from where he grew up and what was normal and what was, you know, the conditioning and for him to take that on and then for it to transform his life, I thought was so cool. And then, you know, in this alignment, you know, really alignment, when people talk about alignment and, 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 and looking at his assessment, it's like, it's actually way more logical and, um, what's the word way more logical and, and, and easy to understand than, than it sounds. And alignment just means that your actions are in alignment with your goals, right? Like that you take action, do things that are in alignment with what you want. So for example, if you really want to be in better shape, your schedule has exercise and diet or exercise, clean eating, whatever, like the things that net your goals, your, your daily life includes them. Your daily, you know, thought processes include them. You, all of those things are in alignment. And I thought it was really cool that, um, he talked about that, that he talked about really changing your mindset, you know, manifesting just all those things, because something that, for me is super spiritual and, and, and a lot, you know, there's a, there can be a lot of recovery that is uh, very spiritual and spirituality just me is kind of just like alignment, like that my thoughts, feelings, actions, all of that is in alignment with what I want and where I want to be. Because when I'm not in alignment and I think addiction is about not being in alignment, right? It's like my body feels stress and anger and fear and trauma and all these things. And so I'm, I can't change that. So I, I put something into it that changes my behavior and how I feel, but then now my actions are not in alignment with my life goals. So really when I'm, when I'm in alignment, just using this particular word that, that Michael talks about that I, I love, it's like, it's not really some like magical woo woo thing. It's it is spiritual, but it's it's about literally that my how I feel, how I the thoughts I'm thinking, my behavior, all of those things are roughly in alignment with each other. I'm saying kind, you know, if I want to be a good person and a kind person and an honest person, I'm saying good, kind, honest words. Those those are my thoughts as well. I'm I'm reducing the judgment that we all have, uh, because I don't want, you know, sometimes it's like, well, I don't want to be judgmental, right? Like I, we all say like, I don't want to be a judgmental person, but it's fun to be judgmental, right? Like that can be fun. It's funny. It's fun. We all like to do it, you know, to look at other people or look online or look at this, that, the other, and have some judgment, right? But if you don't want to be a judgmental person and you're engaging in judgment for fun, you're out of alignment, right? So like the spirituality comes from, I find myself in that best place when I'm in alignment. 
That's really good. That's a perfect explanation. And can you tell people where you're looking in case they haven't listened to the episode so that they can kind of take a look at that? Because that's just, that's a good reminder for me to take a look at myself too and see what's been in alignment, especially during this time, whenever the stress and the overwhelm, you know, can just knock you straight out of alignment. So it is, um, hold on, I got it at, so he talks about it in the episode, but let me just find. So if you go to michaelg-.com backslash alignment, it'll ask you for your name and email and it'll send you the assessment. And the assessment's really good. Uh, michaelg-.com backslash alignment. Um, Step one, connect to your why. So questions like, what is your why? What is your vision? Um, Examples for an answer, I would like to replace some old habits with some new habits that are more productive. Question, these are journal reflections. What is it costing you to continue to spend your time out of alignment with achieving your vision, i.e. time, money, success? Answer, it is costing me quality time that I could be spending with the people I love. Question, how would it feel in your body to be waking up every day living your dream and actualizing your dream goals? It would feel awesome and make me feel really happy. So those are just like examples. Step two, measuring time spent on activities. And I think this is really, oh, this is so vital. I've done this a bunch of times. It's very disappointing. (laughs) You're like, wait, ah. Okay, so it'll say, so the instructions, now that we have clarity and motivation on our why, let's observe how our actions align with it. Below is a sample, give you an idea of how this activity works. So you plug in the time you spent, you spend in each activity, and your pie chart will be calculated for you. Okay, so for sleep, you put in how many hours, and then it calculates, there's a pie chart that it calculates in the hours. um, uh, So it has on here, and I think you can change, yeah, you can change each of these. So sleep, social media, eating and prep, work, drinking, exercise, watching TV, reading, shopping, gambling, total hours. Um, and that's at, it gets to 24 hours in a day. So you can see your pie chart. Step two and a half, measure in real time. Uh, make an alarm on your phone for every hour and a half, starting when you rise tomorrow. Every time the alarm goes off, write down how you spent the last hour and a half. Use these real time measurements to calculate an even more accurate graph. The results may be shocking if you do this step, so be warned. Step three, measuring activity alignment. Okay, so it has all of those activities that you wrote down above and how aligned you feel. So you actually put your alignment score. You put in like how aligned do you feel in the, do each of these activities? How do I feel about how much I am aligned to this activity? What does your intuition say? And it walks you through a an activity for that. And then you get your alignment score. And step four, how to live more aligned to your mission. Okay, so it goes, has you go back, gives you some extra credit, uh, gives you a Facebook group. Yeah, so there's like a whole bunch of stuff. So anyway, it's really cool. And I, I've had to do this assignment before the time it's, we call it, a, we call it a time study and it is so valuable. I, and it's interesting because a lot of the time, you know, in my head, when I've done this time study, I'm like, well, I don't really have a choice. I have to take care of my kids this much. I have to do homework, work, blah, blah, blah. But the places where like on looking at an entire week and the places where I do have extra time, how I tend to spend that time is honestly like checking out. (laughs) If I'm being super honest with my, like 
if I were to plan that more and the checking out, it's interesting, the checking out though, it's not that I am against checking out because I do think that there's value in that. It's like the relaxation. It's how I'm choosing to relax that I, I would do differently, right? Because I'm just going to the the path of least resistance. So yeah, I, I, it's, a, it's a really interesting thing and I highly suggest it. And Michael's, Michael's talk about that is really, really good. And he also has, uh, let's see, more information about Michael G. Dash and his story. He wrote a book called Chasing the High. Great, great book. Highly recommend. It's uh, Chasing the High, an entrepreneur's mindset through addiction, lawsuits, and his journey to the edge. Highly recommend you check it out. That's it. That's it. <laughs> That's my thought. I think the, that was such great information. I love that you brought up the whole alignment thing because I've definitely found myself checking out a whole lot more, especially, you know, as the years gone on and, you know, as I don't know how things are in other states, but, you know, there's a few states, California included, that are back on, on you know, a sort of lockdown again. And and so, you know, you it just the journey into the unknown can really ramp up that stress level. And, and you talking about, you know, checking out. I mean, I've found myself at different points, not realizing I'm just staring at a wall or, you know, whatever else. And so I think being cognizant of how aligned you are to your goals, realizing, you know, we do need to respond to whatever's going on, you know, and, and take care of our, of our mental health or physical health through that. But to, to not, I think I've learned through this time and it's very difficult, right? Because people are facing all sorts of challenges and within those challenges to, I think it's important to still keep our goals and to keep where we're wanting to go because as much as it might feel like that life is not going to stop, you know, we're going to look back a year from now and, and, you know, wish that we'd kind of kept going forward, whatever that looks like for each person. And I, I think that's definitely a huge lesson that I'm learning through this is to not, I guess, be so reactionary to these things and to these life, I don't know, curveballs that get thrown in somewhere or another, you know, whether it's on this large scale through a, you know, a pandemic that's happening across the world or even just something that happens personally. So I think that that's really neat. And it's always good to just do that and be so cognizant of like where you're putting your time and where you're, you're spending your time. It was funny. I did an Instagram live with one of our old podcast guests, Alyssa, we were talking about kind of the same thing. So Alyssa's episode 51, I believe I was talking about my dance video, the, the, um, the story of the struggle. And she was just asking me a few questions just in regards to like setting goals and kind of how I, how I got certain places with those. And then she, and she, you know, from a life coaching perspective, cause she works for the Handel group, which they do life coaching and what they do within their specific models, they look at your whole life as different pieces of a pie and spirituality is one of those pieces. So we were going through business, personal, you know, she's asking questions like, well, how did you get here to imagine this? And you're doing this, you're doing this while you're working. Like what basically like all these little pieces that delve together to be, to make me who I am or where, where I've, where and why I've set certain goals, you know, where I am now. And then she was asking me questions and about what my dreams are. And like, I know in my head what some of my dreams are, 
But I started realizing as I was answering her questions, I was like, oh, I didn't really clearly define specific areas. And she as a life coach is, you know, doing this macro view of my life as these different pie pieces. And the funny one is I'm so like spirituality has been such a huge part of my life since I, I mean, since I was young, I mean, I was so, I had such a deep understanding of who God was like, I, I, my joke is at birth, like I, I can remember at three years old, just knowing and feeling so connected. Whereas that's an area where I know some people don't feel as connected right away. And then she asked me what my dream was for that piece of my pie. And I had no answer. I had no answer for my dream in something that's been such a huge piece of my life. And so I've been going back and being like, so challenged by that. And so I love that you brought up that alignment thing. Cause it's just like, Oh, we can always use more of that and just use that retro look on how we've been spending our time and even our mind share. And it almost puts new perspective to even like going out and spending time with people. Cause it's like, you're taking care of this area and, and you're aligning with your goal of connecting with people, realizing that I'm too tired or I just don't feel like it is not helping you align with that. Right. Exactly. Like seeing things in a different light and, you know, spirituality for me, when I went, it was a big, it's always been super hard and gnarly. I didn't believe in God and, you know, I, I don't know what I totally believe. It's kind of like, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what I could, everybody could be right and everybody could be wrong. No, I I don't know. But I I went to Catholic school for eight years. I went to Sacred Heart. And then my dad is Jewish, although not practicing. And my mother is Episcopalian and I was baptized Episcopalian. And so religion was like, uh, I don't know. And then my parents were from New England, are from New England. I lived in New England when I was little. And then we moved to the West Coast. So it's like not just, it's not just religion. It's, it's also coastal culture and religious culture, because even though my dad is not uh, practicing, he comes from, you know, the, the cultural aspect is there from New York. And, and so there's just like my parents very, you know, uh, <laughs> mom is Rhode Island wasp and dad is Jewish New Yorker. Like it's cult, even though, you know, he's not practicing, even though there wasn't a lot of religion it's still culturally very different and, and in some ways culturally very the same. And, uh, you know, so getting sober and having this conversation come up because it does come up about, you know, higher power and, uh, spiritual beliefs and all that, that was such a turnoff to me. I was just like, Oh no, not again. Here we go. And I didn't want anything to do with that. And so honestly, I just ignored it for a long time. I really did. I just was like, okay, yeah, yeah, I believe. And, and, you know, in, in 12 step, which really was like the last house on the block for me, nothing else was working. And I just gave up. I was like, okay, whatever. Like, I'll just try this. But they would talk about power greater than yourself or a higher power. (laughs) And I was like, okay. Uh, and I just made it really literal. Like, G-O-D, group of drunks. God was... So when they said God, I thought group of drunks, Alcoholics Anonymous. When they said um, G-O-D, I thought good orderly direction, like G-O-D, good orderly direction. Or uh, for then for a long time, I used... So I, I would like... They were like, pray to your higher power. Higher power equals God. God equals good orderly direction. And I take direction from people whose lives... Who have lives similar to the ones that I want. And then that would be 
like I would follow this, this logic. Right. And then eventually it was like nature, like nature is a power greater than myself, like the ocean. There was a, um, a person in one of my home groups and their sponsor took them to the beach and said, I want you to stop the waves from coming in, stop the waves from coming in. And she said, well, I, I obviously can't do that. And I said, okay, there's your power greater than yourself. And so, you know, just stuff like that. So like it's changed over time and it's become this process. And then, you know, it changed, it changed, it's, it, it has continued to change. It changed having kids. It changed like each of these, you know, parts of my life and parts of my sobriety, it has changed. And, and I'm, I'm a lot more comfortable with the conversation, but I used, I, I have a, I have an uncle who is born again and, you know, love all you born agains, but you guys really like to talk about this, your, your born again stuff a lot. And, um, and especially when I was younger, like this was a huge trigger for me. And so my uncle was not really understanding why that was such a bot. Like I was like, I, you know, he would be like trying to have a relationship with me and I was, you know, not interested. And he once said to me, like, I want to, you know, I want to have a close relationship with you. And I said to him, I need you to stop talking about this topic with me then. Because, and I explained to him that the same way that he would feel if I talked to him in depth about my sex life is how I feel talking about my beliefs around God and spirituality. It is that personal and uncomfortable for me. Whereas, you know, like I, I, that, and whereas I could comfortably talk about my sex life and it, it was not an issue and that, that was not something that was like super embarrassing or, 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 you know, like I just didn't have that, that what normal people feel around that topic. I didn't have that, but how I felt about God, religion, spirituality, belief systems, I was like, that is as private to me as it would be if you talking about your your sex life to me regularly, daily with your wife. And when I put it in those terms for him, he understood. And he's ne- he's never we've never had a problem with it since. And it's very interesting. Like it just went away because I was able to explain it to him. You know, and, and I'm sure that's not that wouldn't be the case with everybody. But I was able to politely explain to him why it made me so uncomfortable. Like when people talked about God and Jesus and it just made me, my skin crawl, I felt so uncomfortable. And I think that a lot of people have uh, what we call religious trauma as I did, which is going, you know, for me, it was going to Catholic school, going to Sacred Heart and not being Catholic. And it really didn't matter. They didn't really care what I was. That was the other thing. Like they didn't care. And and frankly, I didn't even know the difference. Like I, you know, I I started when I was six years old. So like it wasn't like I had any idea what what we were talking about. But, you know, everybody had their, you know, first communion and they got confirmed and all of those things. And so all the kids who weren't Catholic got we got there was like four of us and we got put in a different room for that period of class and like basically taught art lessons. And then we had to, you know, we went to communion every week. I'm sorry, uh, mass every week. And we had to cross our arms like publicly. And one time I even tried to get communion and, uh, and, and they, they denied me communion because they knew I wasn't Catholic because I went to, you know, like stuff like that. So, you know, just that feeling of like, there's something wrong with me or I'm really different or like it was a source of, if a, a, a real source of differentiation. And when I would ask questions, I got sent home from school for 
challenging. I got in a fight with the uh, priest in fourth grade and I was sent home from school. You'll appreciate this because in religion class, they were teaching us that animals don't have souls and I would not let it go. I was like, that's, that is absolutely false, fake news. And so, so anyway, I got sent home uh, because I was, you know, picking a fight with the priest and, and, uh, what I had, I had my moment of not really real, but funny redemption, which was that the Pope, God, I want to say it was like five years ago, came out and like, you can find it online, came out and said that animals have souls that he, and uh, he, and I posted, I was like, I win. (laughs) I win. I told you no one listened. You sent me home. But like, so all of that stuff, you know, that was, and then, and then I hit puberty really young. So like all this stuff that was religious, you know, it was trauma, but it was religion based. Like they made it very clear to me that there was something wrong with me, whether they said that out loud, whether they said it when I hit puberty and there was a lot of stuff that went on there. And, and I think I know a lot of people who come in with religious trauma. I mean, God, all the people we talk to who come out of cults and, you know, different things like religious trauma. So then you try to say like, okay, get sober. And there's this conversation about spirituality or which feels a lot like religion for those of us who have that trauma. And it's like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to die of alcoholism or drug addiction. Like I'm not doing that. That's not happening. Right. So I do think like, and that was, that was the impetus for, I wrote this program and um, working on it with two colleagues of mine. And we started a program called Community, which is a support group for people struggling with all different kinds of recovery that took out those triggering words and gives you the space to find that on your, like to find that when you're ready and, and not, you know, have it be a big component. Cause I think it's a huge turnoff for people with 12 step stuff. Yeah. I mean, I can definitely see that. I, I've been through, you know, definitely like religious trauma of my own too. And, and, you know, not even having to be put in a place where I had to, you know, seek, you know, recovery from alcoholism and then be in somewhere where it's like, you're being reminded and there's kind of no way around that. I I can only imagine how traumatizing that was. I mean, I definitely have had my, my steps back and steps away where I had to I think I was shocked. I think I always had some sort of idea that you get to a certain level of church, you know, or of pastor. <laughs> and like, you just are almost like some supernatural being, you know, like, you, Holy. you oh, totally. But that was my mentality. And, and, uh, you know, when I woke up to the hard, harsh reality that every single person on every level in every way has to wake up and make the same decision to, to do the right thing and to be accountable to leadership, to be accountable to others, to be accountable to themselves. And then, you know, if you do have a relationship with God, to be accountable to God, to the things that you do need to be accountable to him for. I mean, I had some rude awakenings that, you know, I won't share in this episode because it's too long to go into, but it it was devastating. And, you know, I definitely had to take a step back and make my own choices eventually about that. And and I did, spoiler alert, come back. I, I did go back to kind of my little three-year-old self. But I think the thing that, that got me, I think I just didn't like the institution of religion, kind of like what you're saying. There's, there's just like, 
I'm not saying there's anything wrong with Catholicism or I'm not here to break everything down. But when it, when it, for, for me, what brought me back was realizing that I found a person, I found, I found a person that loved me. And that was the thing that drew me in. It wasn't any sort of like law abiding this, or, you know, now you stick to these statutes and stuff. It was literally just like the, like I felt love in a different way that no one else could have taught me. So that's what brought me back. And my heart so goes out to people who've had religious trauma. That's no joke. It, it is. And it's interesting. You know, my husband, his family's Jehovah's Witness. And so that's a whole other ball of wax. And, you know, on on the, you know, as you were saying, like, I was thinking, like, I love, we still go to church on Christmas. Eve. My mom loves it. You know, we still go to church on Christmas Eve and, and, um, and uh, we, we go to on, on, Easter sometimes. And, um, so like there's, and what do you do? I'm sorry. I can't. Oh God. Oh God. I don't know if I can do it. Um, Please explain to everybody. I'm in so much trouble for this. Uh, I am trying to not cry laughing right now. I've, what do you, services, Ashley? Okay. So, so, you know, I've been going, I've been going to church a long time. When we, when I was at Catholic school, you know, I was the sacred heart. We went, I mean, God, a couple times a week. And, uh, and then my mom would have us go to our Episcopal church on Sundays. And, uh, so we went, I was doing that for a while anyway. So, and then we always went on like, as they say in, you know, in Judaism, high holidays, um, we would, we would go on, on Christmas and Easter and my sister and I would spend the entire service. And my sister's best friend who came with us always, um, Amelie who passed away some years ago, we, <laughs> we would do this thing. We would try to make each other laugh, like really, really like inappropriately hard. And so, so I had this thing where I don't know what if, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher it, but so there's this part of mass, which many of you will probably recognize where the priest does this thing, which I always found to be funny. He or she will sing a reading and it sounds, it's, I forgot, God, I forgot what it's called, but it's like, it comes to a certain part and he, <laughs> they'll go, um, we lift up our hearts to you and through you and with you and in you and I and everyone we love you forever and ever. So they'll do this like little like sing song and then it'll, and t- sometimes it'll go a little bit longer. It'll be like, and then Jesus said, please come to me. And I talked to him for 45 minutes about this. So it, I, whatever, like I, I have zero recollection of what, what we were saying. But so when I was, ki- when we were kids and we would always somehow end up in like a very visible part of the, of the congregation. Of and course. of course, and, uh, and I would sit and I would try to make my sister and her best friend laugh like as hard. So they had to leave the church. And so I would talk, sing about just like other topics and, and just start talking and whispering to them. So like, you know, and then we called our mom, and then she went and got us a big burrito from Taco Bell. But the burrito from Taco Bell gave us tremendous gas, and that's why we could not go into church and sit in the front forever. And, and I would just do this on and on and on, and typically I would do it in the car on the way home. <laughs> I would do it in the house and come up just like with the most ridiculous thing. And I would have 
my sister and Amelie, her best friend, crying, having to leave the church so that they didn't disrupt. And it was our freaking favorite game. It was so, you know, when you, when you're laughing, like so hard that, and, and you like want to stop, but you can't, you can't. And you're like, this is so inappropriate. This is so inappropriate. I have to stop laughing. And you just cannot. Your parents are looking at you and then the rest of the congregation is looking at you. And oh my gosh, that, that, that's so Ashley's telling me about this, this story. I don't want to interrupt you, but I'm going to interrupt you for a hot second. Ashley's telling me this story and, and we're, we're recording a podcast months ago. I don't, I can't even keep track of time. And Dak, her husband walks in and he's like asking like, well, Hey, like he's trying to figure out the schedule for the rest of the day. He's like, when are you, when are you done? I, I, I need you for, you know, whatever he needed you for. And Ashley's trying to get him to like leave the room so that we can finish recording. And so she finally looks at Dak and she starts sing talking to him. She's like, I will be done when I am done. I will talk to you at 6 p.m. And like, I fall off my chair and you see him. I watch, I'm seeing him because we're on video and like his reaction. And obviously she's done this a ton. Like, cause they tell these stories. When you tell the story, you want to sing talk, you know, it's just so funny. And he goes, Oh dear God, Ashley. And like, <laughs> oh, you should see my mom. You should see my mom when I do it. Oh my God. It's just I was done. I I couldn't finish, I don't think, the podcast. Oh, it's I don't know. It's just one of those things that I've always found really funny. And I'm sure there's I'm sure there's like some really sacred reason why you do it, but I just always found it really funny. But I was gonna say, and I was gonna say that I actually really like tradition. I really like, I really like Buddhist tradition. I really like, I really like traditional things. And so this, this piece about organized religion, like there's a lot of stuff about organized religion that I, that turns out I actually like. And that, you know, one of the things that's really fun about AA is going to a meeting and everybody knowing the same language, like you have the same language or like you run into someone, you find out they're an AA and you know, you're like, Oh, you're, you're a friend of Bill's. Like everybody knows what that means. You know, it's like your own little secret language. Right. And there's something comforting in that. Like, if I'm being honest, there is something comforting. There's something comforting in knowing what, you know, what's the third step prayer and we all say it, you know, or whatever, like, you know, knowing what the tradition, oh, the tradition is that, you know, we light, we, we light the candles in this order, you know, for Easter, like whatever. So it's funny because I used to rail against really organized religion, but it turns out like I really do like some of those things. I think we all, all of us don't like the human frailty aspect of it and the the part of it that's caused so much strife, right? Like I would say most people, 80%, I'm throwing percentages out now, 80% of people probably feel, don't like the same thing about it, which, you know, people, we can talk about cause war, um, people, you know, division, um, you know, all the things, you know, people cloaking themselves in this, in religion to hide whatever they have going on beneath that. Like, I think we can all get our arms around the fact that none of us really like that stuff. I don't think that's hard if you're a decent person, like not to want people to go to war over these things. You know, I I think that's relatively understandable. And I also think there's value in tradition, which I probably wouldn't have said many years ago. And so it's been this funny evolution of growing up and going, yeah, people, man, 
people in any institution, in any set of belief systems, in anything, in government, in plays, in companies, in religions, in, uh, or, you know, NGOs, whatever, like people, people are, are frail and, and will disappoint. And I think that's where, like, almost where the spirituality piece comes in. It's like, the spirituality piece is this understanding that that it's not perfect and that people are not perfect. They're fallible. And I have learned through the religious trauma, rejecting it, being rejected by it, rejecting it in turn, coming back and re- looking at it and kind of, you know, going like, okay, what do I think is interesting here? Kind of dabbling in different ones. I have kind of learned to take what is useful to me and let the rest go. Just like, you know, for you, it's Jesus. For someone else, it's Buddha. For someone else, Allah. Like, I don't care. Cool. Like, does it make you a happy, peaceful person? Does it, you know, all those things. And I think when, if you're someone with religious trauma, when you can get to that point, it is such a relief because you don't have to be triggered. Like I used to get, people would say, my savior, Jesus, and my skin would just, oh, oh. And guys, I got, I, <laughs> I got married in the church. Like I turned to my husband. It was so funny. We, we were, you know, getting ready. And I said, I'd like to be, I'd like to be married in the Episcopal church. He's like, what? Who are you? Like, like I was the person who rejected all this stuff. Right. And he's like, well, what are you talking about? And, and uh, so we, we found, I found this amazing priest and we met with him and, um, and he was so awesome, man. We, I, and he was like, we were like, we don't know what we believe. Is that okay? <laughs> He's like, yeah, welcome to being an adult Episcopalian. I'm like, perfect. And, you know, my husband and I were like, we don't want you to say the word Jesus in our ceremony. I don't know. It's very triggering for us. We don't know. Like, we both have religious trauma. and But, like, we want you to talk, you know. And he didn't. It was fine. And we were just honest about it and just, like, moved through it. And I feel like when you're just really honest and you remove the judgment part, you remove the, like, because like Jesus isn't bad. It's just that it triggers something for me. Right. And like, not anymore, but like it, it did, it triggered something for me. So instead of making it about other people's belief in Jesus and everything that goes along with that, I was able to finally say, oh gosh, that word triggers me. I wonder why I'm interested. I'm interested in why, um, maybe I'll just explore that for a while and eventually, you know, let that go. And so I just think there's all these different layers to it. And it's really cool to get to this place now where I feel very connected to the universe. I feel, you know, very through meditation, you know, when I pray, I have no idea what, what or who or how or whatever. I just do it. And, and my life is better. And for me personally, when I had children, there was no option but to find a, a, spirituality or higher power because the feeling of powerlessness was so overwhelmingly just all encompassing that without that I was I I couldn't go on. Yeah. Wow. I think everybody hits that point, you know, at some point and then that's where they need to make that pivot and make that decision for themselves, you know, but that's I think that's part of the beauty of it is that you do get free will. You do get to decide for yourself, you know, and we do get to live in a country where we get to decide that. That's powerful. You know, I'm not going to make this political, but I I just, I've been very, very inherently aware of how powerful that is and how much I need to just be grateful for that because there are not people that get to do that at this moment in time. 
So yeah, pretty wild, pretty wild, really super wild. Um, I am so thankful to-, to talk to you about this. <laughs> and now we will talk about Jody Sweeten and her episode was really good. I'm sure we have some commentary on it forever <laughs> and ever on this podcast. But now we will talk about it at length. It's been an hour since we were talking. So I'm very happy to move on to a new topic. Amen. <laughs> Ashley, low blossom game, ladies and gentlemen. This is what you get. I love it. So <laughs> love it. And um, people are going to be like, unsubscribe, unsubscribe. No, you're, you, you better tell your mom to not listen to this one. Oh I don't God. think she would. She can't help right. herself. She laughs. Like, she's like, Ashley. And then she just yeah. laughs at me. She can't. She always does that. All the things I do that are, like, so inappropriate, she just cringes. <laughs> but you could see it in her face. She's like, don't laugh. Don't laugh. You're going to make it worse. Don't laugh. Like, like, like with my but, toddlers where I'm like, they do something totally not okay. But you're like, that is the funniest thing I've ever seen. Don't laugh. Don't oh, yeah. laugh. I have to actively not do that whenever I see, I don't know what it is when I see little kids oh, expressing anger through hitting each other <laughs> and they're like, oh, I didn't, bam. And they just like smack each other. I don't know what it is. It just, it makes me laugh. And I'm like, I should be like, Oh no, no, no. Be nice to your brother, or your sister. You know what? I mean, they're not my kids. Cause you know, I don't have them, but, but you know, just encouraging kids to be kind and nice to each other. But I don't know what it is. I'm like, yeah, I mean, let's just like, enjoy this while you can because you can't work this out this way as an adult as much as you feel like you want to. <laughs> You're not nice. You you said a bad word. Wham! Like, oh my god, how they many do times some stuff that's up? so bad and so funny. The other, so we were in the pool and my husband put one of the twins. I, I, for those of you who don't know, I have three year old twins, and um, we put one of the twins on his shoulders and the twin in question was it, my kids swim in our pool naked and the twin in question standing on the, on his shoulders right and he's re- yeah and he's about ready to you know jump off his shoulders into the pool right to do a big jump my son is and uh <laughs> and he starts peeing on my husband's head oh my god and i thought like that's one of those things where you're like, okay, that is not okay. Like, like just on any, by any measure, totally inappropriate, like, right. Totally disrespectful. But I got to tell you, and he's giggling doing it. I got to tell you, I was beside myself. There was no part of me that couldn't just absolutely cry. Like I'm just make, even thinking about it. it was just like the funniest thing I have ever, ever seen just absolutely and he was my husband's like are you are are you (laughs) you know and and you just trying to parent through those situations is so hard because you just want to be like we cannot that is not okay but also so funny so i maybe there's some parents who would just not think that's funny but i thought it was hilarious hilarious peeing on my husband's head i would be laughing oh it was so i mean my husband was so mad but he like you can't you're like just they're three that's so bold that's such a bold move and it's so funny i just oh god it was so and him just like giggling thinking it's the funny he's like i'm gonna pee on your head oh my god kids man oh my god those kids you should do like a twin podcast you should do a twin podcast no no more podcast. 
<laughs> I don't have time for another podcast. You have to say we don't have time. Also, I want to. I want them to have relationships with me <laughs> when they get older. They're like, cool, mom. Yeah, life. I found this really nice woman who I want to be with, but she listened to the podcast of all the horrible things I did, and she's no longer interested. Oh my god. Okay, so we should probably jump to uh, talking about Jody's podcast. Oh my god. How- amazing is Jody. She's okay. I'm going to, I'm going to out myself real quick. When Ashley told me that we were going to be interviewing Jody Sweeten, the six-year-old Christiana or however old I was, whenever, you know, full house first came out, definitely did a little like freak out. I was like, I'm going to need, I'm, I'm going to need to act like a normal person whenever we chat to Jody. <laughs> and like, let me preface this with, I'm a dancer and have been very exposed to Hollywood for a long time and have met a lot of people and worked next to a lot of people and usually don't have. There's always like, that one person where you're just like. There's always a few people. You know, and like, you know mine is? <laughs> mine is Stephen Colbert. Really? Uh-huh. I am in love with Stephen Colbert. In in love with him, in love with him. And if I, like, that's the one where, you know, you just, I, I think everybody has ones where they're just like, oh my God. You'd freak. I, I just I love you. Knew my freak out story whenever I met Matt Bomer, but it wasn't like a full blown meeting because I could not even get myself to put a functioning normal sentence together. Right. Yes. Yeah. It, I, I definitely, like, he looked at me like I was like, a possible stalker. Oh, I'm like, sure. I'm sure that's taught I'm, me that look of like you. You are a potential dangerous person to me. And I need to get out of here. And I was like, I, I'm not. I'm normal. I, I just. I'm I, I, I think you're so amazing. Like, and I, I couldn't even. I like fell over. Like, not like fell over, fainted, but like I tripped and <laughs> fell into somebody's lap. Just like I, and, and the person at my time at the time was the president of my company. Mm-hmm. Literally tripped and fell into her lap. Interlap. I tried to say Matt his name, but it came out with a complete stutter. So I think I said Mama Mama Matt. I think there were five. Oh no, that is oh it was brutal. And then I was like, trying to like wave, like hello, I'd like to say hi to you. And then it came out of this frantic like reach. <laughs> and then the fall, and then Mama Mama Matt. Like, oh, it was. No. that's not, it's hard to listening to. I can usually keep it together really well. I mean, I've. I'm not going to like name drop, like, oh, I've met so many amazing people, but, but like, I can function. Let me just say this. I can function and see somebody as, Hey, this is another human who I really respect your work. And let me tell you why. And Karen, and just say, Hey, thank you so much. Like, I really respect your work and, 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 you know, love what you do, you know, keep going, be encouraging, be, just be a human to them. Not with Matt Bomer. Just no, it didn't, it didn't happen. So with Jody, I wasn't quite that level, but you know, she, like, she, not as Jody, but as Stephanie Tanner was a part of my childhood and a show that I loved so much and just related to so much. You know, I was the oldest of three girls, so I wasn't technically, you know, relating with her character, but I loved her character. She does such a great job. She's such a talented actress. And so we just, oh, we're going to talk to Jody Sweet. And I was like, oh, I had to like separate, like, this is not Stephanie Tanner. This is somebody that I don't know, <laughs> but I love her work. And so, and honestly, talking with her was just so easy. She's, she's really just such a kind and decent and down to earth person. It just, it like, you start talking with her and it's just, you're not even talking with a celebrity, but the, the, the fact of her talent is not lost. Yeah. You know, 
Oh, she's Whenever very talented. Talk. Yeah. Oh my God. You know, it's, it's interesting because like I obviously I, I I know Full House and I've I've seen Full House, but it wasn't like my show. And so I didn't have that. Like, I, I mean, I'd, I've watched episodes, but like definitely didn't watch them in order. Whereas like 90210, that was my show. I watched every single one, you know, that kind of thing. So it was, I mean, I had, and I had read her book. Um, so I had a lot of background and she is actually dating a friend of mine. And so like I, 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 I visualize her in all these different roles or all these different places. So it was, it was um, but it was really interesting to hear, you know, she said a bunch of things that were you know, struck me. And number, you know, number one was like, for her, you know, a lot of the things she talked about this, like how, when people in treatment or whatever, or like in the program would say to her, like, not every, like, you know, saying like thinking that every, you go into a room and everyone's talking about you, like where a lot of us do have that like voice in our head, like, Oh, everybody's looking at my stupid shoes or, you know, talking about me or whatever. Like she really did have that, does have that experience. And you know, not being able to go on online meetings and have her camera show without a screenshot being taken. And just, you know, just these different experiences, right? And like her children um, having conversations with her teenage daughters about, you know, being really careful about what you post online and aware that people know who you are. And just all these, like there are real complications that come along with you know, doing this. And and she says at one point, she says, you know, I love what I do performing and acting and the fame is the piece that comes along with it. And I, you know, I think that's, I think there are people who act for the fame and some people who are, who, you know, take the fame as a result because they, they love acting. And I, that was the sense that I got from her. Like the fame is a piece she puts up with and how difficult it would be to get, get sober in the public eye. I mean, it is just like the worst time in your life. Everything is nobody, you know, nobody gets sober on a winning streak. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so you're doing that in the public eye. They're taking photos of you or finding out where you're going to treatment. I mean, and you're, you know, for the rest of us, it's like creating this safe space. It's a very private time in our life, theoretically. And we want it to be private and, you know, you just don't. And then, and then relapsing, relapsing is this scary thing. And, and, she talks about like going and talking at these schools and like being loaded and talking about recovery. And man, you know, the amount of pressure, there's so much pressure already. The amount of pressure to, you know, be a voice for recovery and be struggling. I like, I I can tell you, I relate to that. I do relate to that. I mean, not at that level. I've not even close to that level, but I do relate to being the person people want to talk to about recovery and feeling like, I am just not in a good place. Like, not that I don't have the knowledge or the experience or that my opinion isn't valid, but just feeling like, just like talking about things and while simultaneously feeling like a fraud because you're just not practicing that principle in your life right now and you know it. And it's a struggle, like that, just that conflict. Um, And I try to, for me, I try to talk really honestly, like, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I'm doing because otherwise it, I do, I'll feel like a fraud and I just, that is not comfortable for me. I don't want that. But her talking about that experience, oh my gosh, I just, I can't even imagine. And, and like coming out with, you know, coming out with your recovery and, and, and then slipping and falling on your face and, and, um, the relationship stuff. Ugh. so I just had so much compassion for what she's gone through and, I had a lot of compassion for 
her struggle around, like, it was really interesting thinking about her journey when she was describing being Stephanie Tanner, like getting that job so young, like, and it's a job, right? And she gets this job so young and then it ends right as she's going becoming a teenager and what that would be like and having the whole world know you like you just I, it's so crazy like to think about what that would be like and it was interesting i was i don't know where i saw but i saw a picture of jody with her dad and or maybe her dad and her mom and i, I saw some childhood photos and it was interesting how now as a an, a grown woman when i see photos of her i see her as jody and then the actress Jody, and then like I, I've you know my mom, my mom watches Hallmark movies, and so I'll see her in those things and whatever. And so, but I, my brain can actually separate the actress from the role she's playing. It was interesting looking at childhood photos of her because all the childhood photos of her were Stephanie Tanner in my head. Like I couldn't separate that when because it was a, as a little girl, like looking at these photos of her from her as that character to her in this photo with her family. It was super weird. It was a totally different thing. Whereas as an adult, I can make that separation. So I thought that was, it. it, I could see how if people on the outside can't, how do you do that? If you, if that's, you know, and, and at such foundational neurological time in your life where, where, you know, things are being hardwired and, how you see how to see yourself away from this character that you've played from this character that you've gotten so much attention and and fame from how do you separate yourself and just all that all the um trauma and and self-seeking self-finding not seeking self self-searching that she had to go through at such a young age like who am i at 12 or whatever it was when the show ended like a career, you know, a huge. So yeah, I just had, I, I guess I had so much compassion for the story, her story and her journey and so much gratitude, you know, really, really, really a lot of gratitude for her willingness to come out and share it. Honestly, that's, that's not easy. I could easily see, I could easily see not wanting to do that. I could easily see feeling, unco- you know, feeling all those things. So anyway, I was just very, I had a lot of compassion for her. I appreciated a lot of like her sharing that experience of getting sober in a different realm and also a lot of admiration and inspiration from her willingness to step into the light and stay in the light and, and share honestly and, and just, you know, be sober woman among sober women. I really appreciated that. Yeah. I think one of the things that stood out for me, cause I struggled a lot through middle school just with wanting to be accepted, which I'm sure story of most people's lives, right? <laughs> yeah. just, you just want to be in a group, right? You want to feel like you're a part of something. And, um, I moved a lot. So it was, you know, I kind of jumped from one school in elementary school to another school in middle school to another school in high school. And it's just like, Oh, having to refine your, your friend groups and just, Oh, it's so traumatizing. And so when she was talking about just that exact part that you're saying, which is her going from being on set and being, you know, working this job, but being a kid and also going through so many of her first sunsets. So she had her first kiss. I think she had said on set and I think she got braces, you know, very that's public- right. Right. That's right. Cause it's happening in this show. They have, they probably have to write it. Yeah. I didn't even, th- yeah, you're right. All that stuff. Everyone's watching you. Yeah. It's not this it's behind a bleacher that you get to right. kind of like 
have in private, you know, and, and, or share or not share. Well, with and people. it's a job. Like and she made that clear. Like it's also a job. Like it's a, you know, a response that she talks about, like you, like in terms of when she was getting sick and couldn't, you know, it's a job. It's so tough. But then that all ends. She makes the choice because she wants to, okay, I want to have the high school experience. Right, right. And she's just getting judged immediately. Yeah. Well, she's doing everybody. She's all these things. Right. She doesn't even have a chance to walk in and prove herself. Right. She is automatically are labeling her as all these things. And you know how, how mean girls can be when they're jealous and, you know, just, you can't make a mistake without it being so public, even just in the high school setting. It's just, it's been the story of her life. And I, 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 we all did stupid stuff in middle school, high school, you know, can you imagine all eyes on you really, you know, like all eyes were not on me in middle school, high school. No, I can't. I really can't. And, and just the, yeah, I mean, the, the level of complexity that you would have to deal with go like all that stuff is hard anyway, you know? So then, so then her finding, you know, solace in substance. Yeah. Like I just, I, I have no complete sense to me. Yeah. It makes total sense to me. I completely understand. In fact, I'm not sure what you would do otherwise in that state, you know, I, not to say that, that, should be the only thing, but it, I personally, you know, that would be a lot of like, that's a lot of introspection for a young person to have to go through. And, you know, I'm sh- not that you can't do that, but that it it's a hot, that's a tall order. It's a tall order. And I completely understand as frankly, both the alcoholic and just a person why you would need some sort of anesthesia to get through that. Yeah. Well, then especially you add in, she talks about how wonderful her parents were trying to give her that balance. Yeah. Life, right? Sounds like they did an incredible job. You know, I, I have a lot of friends who are adopted and they're very candid with me about the, yeah. the struggle they go through in mm-hmm. trying to find their place in the world and how it's an extra level of trying of rejection and trying to find your place in the world and going through that journey on top of it all. And it's just, just like you said, I think I had a lot and have a lot of compassion for her. My heart was very grieved after reading her book, just for the struggles she went through. And, and, and even just her talking about throwing parties and providing the drugs and, oh yeah, you know, for a moment, you know, was that the person who was completely accepted? She was the life of the party. She, you know, right. everybody wanted be with her, but then you take all it away at the end of the day. And it wasn't, I want to be with you yeah. for you as a person. Your it's resources. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Which is, oh, it's so heartbreaking. But like I, I on, again, on a completely different level, but you can really see, and I relate to this again, not because I'm a celebrity, because I'm absolutely not a celebrity, maybe to my dog, but that's it. But I understand what she means about being in love with the art for the art's sake. Mm-hmm. She loves performing, but it has nothing to do with seeking fame. It has nothing to do with like trying to make a great name. It's just literally, oh God, I just love this. Like this, there's something about this that, that my heart says yes to. It's exactly how I am with dance and with music. I get so uncomfortable with being too much in the spotlight, but I like being on stage. I, it's, yeah. I don't know how to describe it. It's so weird. It's definitely, if I could be on stage and have that same connection with audience and whatever, but like not be seen, that'd be awesome. Like, right. Right. <laughs> oh, I bet a lot of artists feel that way. That's like a part of, um, what they have to put up with in order to 
you know, and I'm sure they enjoy some of it, but I, I, I would bet that there's a, that it, it goes too far. People, you know, people go to, it's crazy. And people talk about like death threats, like they get death threats. I'm like, what is with this death threat? People get death threats for not, for not like no reason, like stalkers or death threats. Like I, you know, <laughs> like what? I don't know. I don't, I, that, that all sounds very um, intense and, you know, I don't know what to say about that. It's just part of it, but I really enjoyed having her on. And I know she also makes my friend really happy. So that makes me happy. And yeah, I'm just, uh, I was really grateful that she was willing to come and talk to us. Yeah. She, she was really, she's got a lot going on with, um, she just finished shooting Fuller House the last season. Um, that it's, I, I don't, I don't know if, I guess you could call it like a sequel to Full House. You know, it's, it's the characters, most of the characters, um, you know, in kind of living their adult lives, uh, which it's, I've watched a few episodes. It's really awesome. And it's neat to see them as adults, you know, playing these characters too, bringing, yeah. bringing that into it. And, and yeah, where she really, she has a lot going on. She hosts her own podcasts and you yes. know, she's still working and doing Hallmark movies, which she's so fabulous in. I think I, it's hysterical that she does Hallmark because, like, if you read her book and you get to know her past, like, that is not like she plays these like really wholesome characters, uh, you know. But she has this gnarly, like, drug riddled past or whatever. And so when she plays these characters in Hallmark, and I just think it's the di- the the juxtaposition is pretty uh, funny. And she ha- her podcast is called Never Thought I'd Say This which she does with her friend Celia Behar and it's hysterical it's about motherhood it's super funny mm-hmm. freaking funny oh my god so wonderful so yeah go go give Jody a shout out she's awesome she's really i mean i was she's so professional and and just very gracious and we were we were so thankful that she took the time to come on our podcast very very grateful so shout out to Jody you are amazing amazing grace it's just I knew Ashley was gonna sing something well we have so many exciting things coming at you if you've made it with us to the end of the podcast like it always seems to be just about an hour and a half with these ATEs after the episodes stay tuned for more exciting announcements soon we are working on them right now for you with the podcast book club if you'd like to check out a community meeting do you want to tell them about that oh yeah Okay, so the community meetings, um, if you go to lionrockrecovery.com, there's a tab at the top that says meetings. And on the meetings, it's like all different types of free support groups. And you can click into which day you're looking for meetings. Uh, free re- so there's free recovery support group meetings and workshops. And just to give you an idea, there's a recovery Dharma meeting on Sunday, an open AA discussion meeting on Sunday, Monday, another open discussion meeting, meditation workshop. Okay. So, and then there's a 12 step workshop, Al-Anon, AA, Overeaters Anonymous, and community recovery support group meetings. So the, you know, our opener for community, community is a recovery support group where all people in the pursuit of peace in mind and body may find hope and healing through connections with each other. It's open to everyone. So basically it's a a recovering support group, whatever you're recovering from, you know, whatever that looks like, we don't tell you like, abstinence looks like this or sobriety looks like this. Oh, you're not sober. You're this, you're that, whatever. Like you do you. And we come together and talk about it and share our healing. And it's based on um, a set of beliefs that really have to do with working towards the same goal of peace in, in body and mind. 
and however we all get there is our own journey. And it, it has a similar format to a 12-step discussion meeting. So it's not, you know, super crazy in terms of having to relearn something. Uh, a lot of people who go there are also in a 12-step program. So it's, it's completely compatible. Um, and we have, I believe, five of those at different times during the week. Um, community recovery support. So anyway, that is up on the website. There's also, just like to let you guys know, there's a first responders only group, uh, support group. There's an ACA adult children of alcoholics and or dysfunctional families. I highly, 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 highly recommend this. If you had any alcoholism in your family, if either your parents or step parents or whatever, I highly, highly recommend this. You will be amazed at the similarities of uh, what that dynamic creates in people and the healing that goes on. We have a narcotics. Oh my gosh, narcotics. There's a narc- narcotics. Mm-hmm. That's a new drug. Narcotics. There's <laughs> there's a narcotics anonymous meeting. There's a recovery fellowship time, so just people can hop in and hang out and talk. There's a men's only brothers to brothers, a men's only AA recovery support group. Um, you can get, if you are one of those people who fought the law and the law won and you need a, uh, a meeting slip, the, the meetings offer, many of the meetings offer meeting slips. I'm just trying to see if there's anything. The OA. Sober sisters too. Oh, so, so there's, we have a men's only and a women's only meeting. Yep. So, and then Overeaters Anonymous, that is, it's a 12, uh, 12 by 12 step study. And on Monday nights at 8 PM Pacific, and that one, um, I am the host. Oh, there's also a community LGBTQ recovery support group, which is on Tuesday at 530, I think. 5 PM. Oh, five. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. So anyway, as you, oh, there's a spirituality workshop. There's living life successfully with cirrhosis support group. Pretty cool. That is on Wednesdays at 1 PM Pacific. So as you can see, we have just like a ridiculous uh, amount of support groups, all led by volunteers and different people who have experience in these things and highly recommend you check them out. And please listen for the podcast book club information coming up. Yay. Well, thank you guys again for joining us. We are committed to bringing you podcasts throughout 2020 in this crazy year, and we will get through this together. Yes, eh? <laughs> Well, Ash, I love you. I still miss being with you in the office. I know. We got to get back to the booth. wonderful as it is to be podcasting from home. Really, honestly, like it couldn't be anything more great. But I just miss our one-on-one time. So hopefully soon. Hopefully soon. Bye-bye, pandemic. You got to (laughs) go. We ain't got no time for you. You got to go. All right. Peace out. Peace and love. (laughs) Bye, guys. Have a great week. This podcast is sponsored by Lion Rock Recovery. Lion Rock provides online substance abuse counseling where clients can get help from the privacy of their own home. They are accredited by the Joint Commission and sessions are private, affordable, and user-friendly. Call their free helpline at 800-258-6550 or visit www.lionrockrecovery.com for more information.